Hey y'all, this is Crystal. Just wanted to start this episode by stating that the MeSearch podcast stands in solidarity with our Palestinian relatives. We reject and condemn any power or entity that participates in the massacre of innocent lives, urge for an immediate permanent ceasefire, and call for action to end occupation in Palestine. Along with so many people across the globe that have demonstrated their support and solidarity for Palestine, we join in proclaiming the words, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. At the top of this episode, I do mention that 15,000 Palestinian lives have been killed as of November 20th, 2023. As a correction, at the Jewish Voices for Peace Power Half Hour, they stated that the reported number of martyrs is closer to 14,000. But because of the Palestinians who were killed due to the hospital shutdowns and bombings and the relatives who are still lost in the rubble, with these unreported killings, the number may be closer to 15,000. Thank you all for listening. The first thing, especially for people who are new to this or are not familiar with it, it's shocking. And it takes a minute to really like settle and understand what that means. So take that time, educate yourself. Hey, Dustin. Hey, Crystal. Hey, me searchers. You're listening to the Me Search podcast, and we're your hosts. My name is Dustin Domingo. And I am Crystal Tugatti. Today, we aren't having the usual conversation because it's important for us to just be in community with each other, especially with our Palestinian relatives right now. It is November 20th, 2023 today, and it is the 44th day. Let me take a second there. 44th day that Palestine has been under siege, under the orders of massacre from the Israeli government. And according to JVP, um, I was uh, at the Jewish Voices of Peace um, uh, power half hour making our calls to our representatives, and they informed us that it is at 15,000 people who have been killed in Palestine, and 8,000 of them are children, um, and this is where we are, y'all. And today we have, um, we're welcoming a very special guest. We're meeting the executive director of the Palestinian American Community Center in New Jersey. Um, and that is Rania Mustafa. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. We as Filipinos know the struggle of being in the middle of imperialist settler colonialism. And we must be in solidarity with our relatives who must also be free. And we're going to learn a little more because I know many of us are scared and confused, but we must find the courage to learn about our relatives and to speak up. So today we're going to learn a little bit more from Rania. And uh, thank you again for joining us. Um, I was telling Rania before we started, I saw her speaking at um, the March in D.C. over YouTube. Um, and 
I'm just so glad that we have time to speak with her and to learn from her today. So y'all listen up, <laughs> listen up. <laughs> so um, as I, I, I mentioned, a lot of the Filipino community is scared um, to speak up because we've been taught to like zip it. Um, and so it, it seems as though our community is taking great pause to call for action because they also seem stuck wanting to understand history. Nani, is there anything, and I know it is like very dense <laughs> um, and probably impossible to like cover history um, in the time that we have with you, but is there anything that you can share um, about how we historically arrived to this point? Yeah, um, first off, thank you so much for having me. It means a lot to be on this podcast and this was the highlight of my day, uh, despite wow. my crazy day. So thank you both for having me. Um, so historically, I think the biggest thing is, and I always say this, my biggest pet peeve is when I hear that people describe um, events of October 7th as unprovoked, uh, because it's quite the opposite of that, right? You can't take the events that happened and put them in a vacuum or put them in a one-off situation. You have to understand the context that's that's been happening and what's been happening for at least 75 years um, you know, if you want to look at the creation of Balfour Decoration, you're talking about over 100 years, right? And, and 1948, and I think this is something that's really important. And whenever I have any conversations or talks, I always encourage people that I in no way, shape or form can give you the entire context in any sitting or any um, short time. But what I do encourage people is to take some of the keywords that they hear and some of the things that they really resonated with and to do their own research and to come to their own conclusions and really challenge themselves to critically think. Um, and I think that's my biggest thing that I think a lot of people sometimes miss these days is the ability to look at history and critically think and ask questions and try to dig deeper and understand. Um, so if I'm going to look back, I think the main, I want to say the main pivots or the main points in history that really bring us to where we are today is starting number one at the Balfour Declaration, where um, the British mandate did, uh, it gave this, uh, you know, it gave uh, Palestine, historic Palestine to Israel um, in the sense of this, or to the Zionist project. Didn't give it to Israel, gave it to the Zionist project um, and basically said to protect the non-Jewish majority that were on the land, which were the Palestinians, and to preserve them and not to disrupt them in any way. Um, and then we flash forward um, it, with the rise of anti-Semitism before, uh, before World War I, well after World War I, which led us to World War II with the Holocaust, um, which was absolutely tragic. And it had a many number of refugees, uh, many no a number of Jewish refugees looking for a homeland. Um, and now with this idea that after the British mandate, uh, Zionism did have this new homeland that they were uh, gravitating towards. Um, after the Holocaust, there was an increase um, in people moving towards this area um, and which around the same time resulted with the Nekba, which was um, in 1948, which is called the Great Catastrophe, um, where uh, basically Israelis, uh, ethnically cleansed the land of Palestinians. 70% of the population of Palestinians were kicked out of their land, either murdered, uh, massacred, ethnically um, uh, kicked out of their land and displaced to other areas, um, whether it be the Gaza, West Bank, or other Arab areas um, in the Middle East. And from that point, what happens is 
and again, I'm giving quick flash points of history. Mm-hmm. Um, we flash forward. Uh, so at this point, we're having, we have 1948 with the partition plan. The UN recognizes Israel. Um, Harry S. Truman was president at the time. He also recognizes Israel as a state. Um, and now the Palestinians are kind of these two, two areas, the West Bank and Gaza, which also using some critical thinking skills, you notice that they're separated um, physically. So you have two different areas of people. So you have a one person, uh, one um, nation of people that are split into two, two different areas. Um, and so in addition to the, the, the few uh, or the minority that was left um, in what is now called Israel today, um, then you flash forward to 1967 with the Six Day War. Uh, where then Israel occupies um, Gaza and the West Bank. And so now you have um, a clear occupying, or even a more clear, because there was the occupying-occupied relationship that was happening in um, the 1948 portion of what's known as Israel, but now it's been expanded to Gaza and the West Bank as well. Um, And so they were under full occupation, full military occupation, Um, And this basically goes on, again, fast forwarding very quickly um, through uh, events of history till around the Second Intifada. Um, With the end of the Second Intifada, um, uh, Israel pulls out of Gaza militarily um, and they but they basically blockade and siege Gaza on all areas of the land all around it. So they 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 have a siege um, from air, land, water. There's nothing can go in and out of Gaza without Israel's permission. Um, And then they begin to build the separation wall um, that physically now separates, you know, the land even further. Um, And so the occupation forces continue to grow in the West Bank while they continue to build this blockade and siege around Gaza. Um, And to give you some context, that was in 2005. In 2020, the UN said that Gaza would be unlivable. um, And we are in 2023. Uh, you know, being under constant blockade and siege where things can't get in and out, people can't get in and out easily. Uh, life there has become, you know, very difficult to see the future, to prosper. And the same thing with those bank. The West Bank, there is a little bit more of obviously in and out, but everything's being controlled by Israel. There's a full military um, occupation on Israel in the West Bank. And this is kind of, a, I guess, a quick history of what brings us to today. This is what's ongoing and what's happening. Um, and if you, if anyone has seen, and I, I challenge everyone, I guess, who's listening to, to look this up, the shrinking map that happens over time from 1948 till 2022, 20, um, 23, you see the shrinking map of the Israeli pop, um, of the Palestinian population and the increasing map of Israel. Uh, and and that's what's been happening. And so basically the indigenous people of Palestine have been constrained to less and less land um, while people of uh, Jewish heritage, as long as you can prove your great grandmother is Jewish, you get Israeli citizenship. And they've been coming from all over, kind of taking over this land. Um, I don't know. I think I just did the impossible by giving the full like a rundown yeah, of the that history. Was... <laughs> but I think you are a queen. <laughs> that, was, that was amazing. Thank you so much for... Um, running that down. I'm sure there's probably a million other things to say, but I think just what you shared pulls into the conversation so much context that I think a lot of people are missing because Mm -hmm. I think even for myself, when I, when I jumped into like learning about the history of what is happening, I'm like, holy crap, this thing has been going on forever. Like we don't realize that all of what's happening is, is a result of things that have have been happening for like centuries like yes 
it's in like I, I feel like the one of the biggest misconceptions is like as you said October 7th was unprovoked in uh, but in other words like it happened out of nowhere but really it's like man y'all this has been happening there's there's so many things that i feel have perhaps been I'll steal some words from Crystal Tugatti over here, like things that have been swept under the rug that now I think maybe because of social media and like people who are brave enough in Palestine to like share footage of like what actually has been happening. People are now thinking like, oh, crap, like Mm -hmm. we need to figure out what's happening here. But I also feel like with social media, there's an opportunity for so much misconception and propaganda to be popping up. People's perceptions are the reality, right? So there's a lot of things... Uh, particularly on social media that are (sighs) creating havoc with what Mm -hmm. is the truth. Um, And there's a lot of misconceptions about speaking up on behalf of Palestine and that being anti-Semitic and like this misconception of like, what is the Zionist project or like, what is Zionism and what does it mean to be for Zionism? What does it mean to be against Zionism? Can you explain to us perhaps why it may be viewed as anti-Semitic to be speaking out on behalf of Palestine. Sure. Yeah. I I think, um, like you said, there is a lot of, I think, misconceptions and misinformation that's being said. And I think um, for a long time, there's been this idea of speaking up against Israel um, is seen as anti-Semitic because to many people, Um, that are from Israel, they see this as the Jewish homeland. And so if you're going to criticize Israel, you're kind of criticizing Judaism, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of things where it's inconsistent with that, right? So if we look at it like I'm Muslim, right? If I'm to criticize Saudi Arabia, does that make me Islamophobic? Or if Mm -hmm. anybody were to criticize uh, Saudi Arabia, would that make them Islamophobic? No, right? That doesn't make sense. And not saying that Saudi Arabia is, you know, but it is the birthplace of Islam, right? With Mecca, um, so it's a little different, but it's the same concept that you can't um, by saying you can't you criticizing a country may, doesn't make you against a religion in that country. The mm-hmm. second thing that's really important to um, to to point out is many people who criticize Israel are are criticizing Zionism and not Judaism. And Zionism is a political ideology that believes of creating a land with Jewish majority people where they basically reign supreme on the land. And that's what people are criticizing. Um, in no way, shape, or form are they criticizing Judaism, which is actually a very beautiful religion um, that has a lot of tenets that many religions share. Um, and and I think you know the, our biggest allies in this struggle are actually the the Jewish people who speak up against Zionism because they say not in our name, right? They keep mm-hmm. saying the idea that this is not going to happen in our name. Um, so I think these are all very important things to kind of draw between this. And I think there's this movement of trying to conflate anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism to silence people who are speaking up about Palestine. Because mm. no one wants to be anti-Semitic, right? right? That's the number one thing. No one ever wants to be anti-Semitic. And I completely condone, like we, we're completely against any idea of anti-Semitism or any actions that lead to anti-Semitism. And I think the majority of people are also like that. Right. So when you're conflating the two, it becomes very dangerous because one, you're actually taking away from when real anti-Semitism happens, because now people question or one question is, is this anti-Semitism or am I speaking about Palestine, which is seen as anti-Semitism? So you're conflating the two, which is very dangerous for 
actually preventing anti-Semitism. Um, and number two, uh, number two, it also silences people who are afraid to speak up because they're like, I don't want to say anything that may offend someone in the sense of being against their being against the religion when it really has nothing to do with that. Um, and I actually think when you look at Zionism in itself, it's very much a, against a lot of Jewish ideals. Right. It's it doesn't stand with a lot of Jewish ideals. Um, and I think a lot of people see that even people within the religion. Mm. I think it's yeah. so, so helpful for to hear you kind of break down like what the true definitions of things are because it helps to like dispel these sorts of misconceptions that are like really spreading fast on the internet. Yeah. And, and one thing I say is the relationship with Palestinians and Israel has nothing to do with religion, nothing mm. to do with religion. Um, if the occupiers were of any other religion, the reality of what's happening on the ground would continue and would still happen because we're talking about an occupier and occupied relationship. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about that, all other factors are secondary. They're not the primary forces that are driving these things. But what's happening in these conversations are these secondary things are being shown as primary forces, which are deterring a lot of people from even having those conversations in the first place. So that's I think that's just really important is to think about and to really take away from that, because a lot of people are making this like this is Muslims against Jews, which is not true. Uh, Muslims, Jews and Christians lived in historic Palestine for centuries and never had any issues. Mm -hmm. um, it's only becoming when now we have, uh, you know, like this idea of a Jewish majority coming in in the sense of it being they are reigning supreme and everybody else are secondary citizens. That's when there's inequality in the game. And again, that's where we go into the occupier and occupied relationship. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it's, 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 it's really just so freaking wild how, like, the oppressor will mm -hmm. find all the ways to find all the reasons, excuses to, like, you know, get their get their message across like i i just recently learned about christian zionism which oh, yes. is also a crazy thing and just knowing about like the filipino community and how so much of the filipino community is catholic and christian i feel like that's also feeding into the fear of like speaking up because we have to be so obedient to our Christianity and to like, mm -hmm. and that comes with a lot of things, you know? Um, and I know I have a lot of Christian friends and family and I just want to reiterate, uh, it's not Christian. Um, yeah. It... Anyway, um, just side note. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's not, I mean, like you said, it's not about religion. It's about like, it's an occupation situation as opposed to like yeah. one religion against the other. And I think perhaps that's one of the big takeaways that I hope our listeners get from this. It's like, that's not even it. That's not it, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it. It's not it at all. Because, you know, I think something else that people miss is there's a lot of Palestinian Christians that are being oppressed actively all the time. You know, like even to the point, Bethlehem is the birthplace of Jesus, right? And people yes. can't, Palestinians cannot get there. Palestinian Christians cannot get there to worship, cannot get there to celebrate because of checkpoints and because they can't get to Jerusalem. There's so many different things that I see and it actually hurts me and pains me when I see when I'm walking in the streets and, you know, like Palestinians don't see 
Christian, Muslim. It's just you're Palestinian. And in the end of the day, like they're having the same struggles. They're going through the same checkpoints. They're going through the same oppression, the same you know reality of living under occupation um, in all of its facets and all of its uh, you know implications. And and that's what hurts, I think, the most is like these are your Christian brothers and sisters, too. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and even in Gaza, because that's also something a lot of people think because um, it's not there's they're not the majority like they're the majority are Muslim, but that's because if we want to get into the history, why and how has that become? Um, but there are still there are Christians in Gaza too. Y'all hear that? If you need to replay that, like please do. <laughs> yeah, just you know, I feel like people really need to hear that there are Palestinian Christians. <laughs> Our liberation is all intertwined, mm -hmm. right? It is mm -hmm. all intertwined. And I think that's a concept that a lot of our uh, community can't quite understand. Um, can you possibly help us explain that? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I think just one thing before I get into that, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I do want to mention that 70% of the people that live in Gaza are actually um, refugees themselves. I don't know if I said that before, but this is really mm. important. Uh, to to mention and to kind of get that context as well, that these people are refugees and they're getting displaced yet again from their homes and not once, not twice, some of them three or four times um, have already been internally displaced from their homes. Um, in terms of our liberation, I think that is the most important thing um, that we have to keep in mind, that uh, Israel is a settler colonial state. And in the end of the day, if we keep um, that idea of imperialism and power, we all end up paying the price, right? We mm -hmm. all need to collectively work towards our liberation um, in terms of, at the end of the day, if any kind of oppressive force is in power, we're all going to suffer um, and we're all going to pay that price. Uh, and we are now fighting against the idea of all kind of colonialism and all kind of um, oppression and all kind of occupying relationships or occupying forces. And I think that's, you know, I remember someone once telling me uh, like why, you know, and not a non-Palestinian told me I will never rest until Palestine is free because I know when Palestine is free, that means I'm going to be free because once mm -hmm. people are able to recognize the liberation for the Palestinian people, then they will be able to recognize the liberation for all other struggles. Um, and it's it's so intertwined where it's not my struggle versus your struggle. And then at the end of the day, we all have that same struggle that we're working towards, which is living in a world free of injustice, full of justice and free of oppression and living in a world where we can all be fully ourselves without any um, you know, occupiers or occupying forces. Yeah, all of these, all of these rules that we've had to follow all these years, y'all, were made up by fucking, yes. sorry, I'm cussing, <laughs> by fucking colonial yes. assholes. Yes. Okay. So, like, think about it. Like, America was created. It wasn't here before people came here. They took land from the indigenous. Israel was not always a fucking state. Sorry. Yeah. No, but right? it's true. Yeah, it's true. And I think that's what's most important is that, again, it's this idea that um, we can only achieve liberation when we begin thinking like that. Like this is all intertwined. In the end of the day, um, achieving liberation in one area will definitely open the minds and the hearts of others to get to the other areas as well. 
Um, so absolutely, this is not how it always was. And actually, the person who told me that she said, I will, I will not rest until Palestine is free. Um, she was from the Red Nation. And she, uh, you know, said that we understand it more than anyone else living in reservation camps, mm-hmm. being wow. the occupation, um, and understanding how slowly with every passing day, there's this active force of trying to erase your identity and erase everything that you're from. Um, and I think also the idea of intergenerational trauma is really important because I think a lot of us have internalized a lot of these ideas of colonialism mm. and imperialism and how has it affected us where we've just grown to be obedient and not question and not challenge things um, and not try to, you know, understand the bigger picture or the long term game, you know, so there's a lot at play here. I think it's interesting that you um, bring up like this idea of a bigger picture and like because it reminds me of like conversations that I've seen on the internet even my own like unraveling of like what it means to be in the United States like I I see and hear folks say things to the effect of like well if you're for Palestine then your logic means that you want us in the United States to not be in power because we colonize the U.S. and like there are Native Americans. Like, do you want to be killed by the Native Americans? And it's like, ooh, you're so close because now you're recognizing that <laughs> the indigenous people of the United States, like, they are being oppressed here. Like, it's beginning to get people thinking, even though it's like, yeah, even <laughs> even though like the logic is a little bit weird. It's like, okay, now we can start having conversations of like, okay there's like this paradigm shift now of like what it means to be an indigenous person in the Americas. Exactly. And I think a big part of it is just recognizing it. It's so Mm -hmm. insane to me how people have one such a hard time recognizing it. Mm -hmm. And then two thinking about the implications of that. Right. That's all that really like that's the starting force to this is just really spending time to recognize how was this country founded? Who are the people that paid the price? What is happening actively now? Right. Um, it, and, and I think that's what we have to start asking ourselves. Um, and in addition, I think, and I always say this, that there's a lot of different fights for liberation. Um, they're all similar, but they're not all the same. So in the end of the day, you have to go talk to each of the people who are fighting that struggle and understand what they see as liberation. What are their demands? What do they want to see to get there? Um, so we can draw those similarities. We can draw those parallels and that's what unites us. But at the end of the day, each person has their own specific circumstances. So even with the indigenous struggle in America and the Palestinian struggle um, on Palestine, it's not the same. Um, it's not, it's, it's not the same, but it's very, very similar. Right. So the mm-hmm. thinking of the implications of that and what does that mean that's again where you center it back into the conversations with indigenous people in America and Palestinians in, in Palestine and understanding how do they see the long term? What are their demands? How do they see a future? And then kind of pushing towards that. Right. Yes. Yeah. So as we reach the end of our episode, what are some action items that folks can participate in, especially if they're new or like nervous to be in any sort of like liberation movement? So I think the first thing that I always tell everyone is really educate yourself. Um, Mm. Take the time to listen to that podcast, watch that movie, read that book, whatever it may, or engage in that discussion circle, whatever it may be. Uh, Because I think the first thing, especially for people who are new to this or are not familiar with it, 
it's shocking and it takes a minute to really like settle and understand what that means. So take that time, educate yourself. Um, we um, at PAX, I work at the Palestinian American Community Center and we have a toolkit that actually has a full resource guide of different resources that you can read, listen to. We have re everything down from music to movies, to books, to podcasts, anything you can think of. Um, if you go to our website, so www.paccusa.org, and right on the homepage, you're gonna see a toolkit. Click on that toolkit, you'll see a resource list. I highly recommend you take some time to familiarize yourself with that. Um, and yeah, I think that's really the first thing. I think in terms of other than educating yourself, find some actions to do. Right now, the biggest thing that Palestinians are asking is making sure you're calling your representatives, demanding a ceasefire, uh, making sure that they know that you're against what's happening and uh, in, in that you want an end to the occupation. Uh, I think also attending any educational events in your neighborhood or in your community, um, also going to protests. Those are very important. And any shape, like there's so many different kinds of protests that have been coming out. So supporting in whatever capacity you can. And then the least that you could do is continue to educate yourself on social media and continue to share. Because, uh, you know, I remember very early on um, when all of this is happening, a lot of reporters would come ask, like, what are you guys doing in terms of humanitarian? And I said, number one, as um, is under a full blockade and siege, so nothing can really get in. But number two, whenever we talk to people on the ground, the number one thing they always ask is uplift our stories because they know that the media is not covering it in the right way. Um, so the number one thing they always say is please make sure that the people who are getting killed are not dying in vain and that their stories are you know, being uplifted and that they, we find justice for them one day. And so that's the very least I feel like everyone can do. Um, but the toolkit itself on that page gives a lot of different action items that you can take. And so I highly encourage people to check that out. Heck yeah. Thank toolkit. you so much. Yes. Yeah. There are so, there's all the resources online. And if anyone is scared to do any of it, hit me up for real. Like yes. I will, I will, I will be with you in that. <laughs> me too. <laughs> we can do this. Heck yeah. Yes. All right. Well, Rania, thank you so much for everything. Um, we are really grateful for the time that you've offered us. Um, we know that you're so busy and um, I know that we should be educating ourselves and y'all, we need to continue to educate ourselves. But thank you for holding our hand for this, this moment. And I trust and I hope everyone will continue to do their own work so that we can find liberation for Palestine, we must liberate Palestine and we will liberate everyone else in the world. I believe that, but we really got to do this together, y'all. Yes. Nania, thank you so much again. Check out um, PAC. Please, please do follow them. Do their toolkit. Do the toolkit, y'all. Do the toolkit. Um, Rania, thank you so much again. Y'all, this was Rania Mustafa. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right, this is me, search folks. <laughs>